I was living in a devil town I didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down about How's it going everybody? Town. This is Ralph Amsden with the Devil's Junkie Podcast Coming to you from Chandler, Arizona on a Wednesday evening, just after Arizona State takes a rough 68 to 43 loss against the Cal Golden Bears, and um, I got to tell you, I'm worried about this ASU basketball team. At first glance, you could say Bobby Hurley's doing a good job recruiting. He's doing a good job bringing uh, four-star prospects in, something that Herb Sendek struggled to do regularly. Uh, and and four-star prospects, it's not like they're a dime a dozen. There's a limited amount. And the fact that they have interest in Arizona State and they've tripped a, a lot of kids out here to come and visit the program, uh, there's more interest than there's ever been, and they're landing a lot of these kids is a good thing, but... Arizona State's a team without size, and, and you look at what happened against Cal tonight with uh, Obialeka going 3-for-13, Torian Graham going 1-for-13. Uh, when you get somebody with length like Ivan Rab out at Cal to to deflect some of these shots or, or get in passing lanes and, and just use their length, uh, it really doesn't feel like Arizona State has a whole lot going for them. And, uh, you know, this is a young and exciting team. Um it's a team that can score, uh, and it, it's a team that can really get hot, uh, especially uh, when when the guards are scoring. Um, but young, young, young and exciting doesn't necessarily guarantee success. Uh, River Phoenix was young and exciting, um, but like I said, the, this Arizona State team, uh, it, I'm I'm worried about how they're constructed. To be honest. Uh, this is going to be a team going into next year that, on paper, should be successful. Your your teams that have the ability to sustain success, to do maybe even a little bit of damage come tournament time, are the ones that have senior leadership at the guard position and assuming that nobody transfers out. I mean, you've got Shannon Evans, who is incredibly valuable, um, and Trey Holder, who is uh, pretty much the lone contributing holdover from the Herb Sendak era, I, I know you know you can you can probably put Cody Justice in there as well, but he wasn't necessarily contributing much uh, under under Herb Sendak. And so you know you're going to have Trey Holder as a senior guard uh, next year. You're going to have Shannon Evans as a senior guard next year, a fifth year senior guard. And then, you know, you're going to have Cody Justice as a senior, upperclassman, big guard. And that typically should be the resume for success so long as you have some type of length and some type of ability to rebound the basketball or penetrate and kick it out. And I think that's probably... That's probably where Arizona State runs into a little bit of an issue with Sam Cunliffe quitting on this team uh, because he could have been that guy. You know, he he looked like he was playing out of position in the ten games that he spent with Arizona State. But the truth is, um, I, this is a guy, and I know that Arizona State fans don't want to hear it because you know he's gone and good riddance, and he's a quitter and whatever else you want to call him. Um, but this is a guy that has NBA level talent. 
And if he can keep his head on straight and find a find a place at at Kansas where he transferred to, where you know he's gonna uh, come off the bench, assuming when he's eligible next January, um, and play a little bit of guard from the get go, this is a guy that can. I feel like grow into that role and eventually become an NBA level talent. Uh, and I think Arizona state's going to miss that, uh, his ability to penetrate, uh, his ability to shoot his length. Uh, it's going to be a problem because you're graduating, uh, Obina Aleka, who's kind of the heart of your team, the PJ Tucker type. If you follow uh, Phoenix suns basketball, you're graduating Torian Graham, who's streaky, but um, nobody, uh, catches fire the way that he does. I mean, he he'll have three games in a row where he goes nine for thirteen. He's very efficient uh, when he's on. So you know you're going to graduate those guys. Where are you going to get the points? Where are you going to get the rebounds from? Are you going to be completely dependent on your guards? And that's the interesting thing about this Arizona State team is that probably probably the best player that they're bringing in is another guard in in Remy Martin. So what we're going to have to see from this Arizona State team in order for them to capitalize on the senior, senior leadership they have at the guard position next year under Bobby Hurley, hopefully making a step toward the tournament is, you know, guys like Romello White, uh, six foot eight, 220 pounds, who should have been playing this year, um, but had some issues getting cleared. Hopefully, he sticks around. You never know with basketball; people transfer and transfer out all the time. If Romello White's good to go, starting next year, and Vitali Scheibel's good to go, starting next year, Andre Adams is maybe healthy starting next year. Then you have right there a six foot eight, six foot nine, six foot nine guy that weren't playing this year and not everything comes down to Jethro Tashumpa being progressing uh, beyond what he knows how to do now. So um, I, I'm, I'm worried about the way this team is constructed because, you know, moving on beyond that, you're losing all of your, um, all of your major minute guards uh, the, the year after. And you hope that Bobby Hurley can continue his streak of bringing players in because the only way that this team is going to be able to compete against the stigma that Arizona State's a football school and that nobody can really do anything basketball-wise um, is is going to be to continue to bring in this four-star talent to even graduate some people early. I mean, not graduate them early, but move them on to move them on to the NBA, make this a destination, and Hurley's going to have to be around for the long haul. Um, but if they don't do it next year, if they're not a 20-win team next year, I don't know if they're going to be able to do it losing everything that they're going to lose. So uh, definitely worried about the way that this team is constructed as far as how it will translate to their long-term success and, 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 and spiraling in those worries a little bit after watching them only put up 43 points at home against Cal. So um, uh, starting with basketball, take that for what it's worth. And uh, let's, let's get to the rest of the devil's junkie podcast. This is the first Devil's Junkie podcast uh, post-2017 signing day. 
It was a rather uneventful signing day, second year row, uh, if you're an Arizona State fan and you were following along at devilsdigest.com. We had our finger on the pulse of everything that was going on, and everything that was going on uh, was Arizona State doing their absolute best to try to flip some talent at the last minute, and uh, none of it really worked out in their favor. And so this class comes together somewhere between 17 and 19, depending on who you decide to count um, in this class. And uh, I think it's an interesting class. It's the lowest rated of, of Todd Graham's tenure here. Of course, at Rivals, you know, we're not counting Blake Barnett and we're not counting Doug Suttle. Um, and the two wide receivers, John Humphrey and Ryan Newsom, that are coming in, we're not we're not counting their eligibility as being part of a, a recruiting class that's being brought in. And ultimately, you know, we have a couple of late evaluated prospects um, who are who are two stars that drag the rating down just a little bit in DJ Davidson and Shannon Foreman. But I believe that those are two players that will ultimately contribute to this team. And so, um, you know, take take those ratings with a grain of salt, but. Ultimately, I think that this deserves to be on paper Todd Graham's lowest rated recruiting class. Um, but what I'm, I made the argument on devilsdigest.com is that this low rated recruiting class might just bring the devil's salvation. This actually might be the class that turns things around, that actually pulls Todd Graham and Arizona State up out of the, the mire and the muck of two losing seasons in a row, something that Todd Graham's never had to deal with before, not when he was coaching at Allen, not when he was uh, at East Central, not when he was at Tulsa, not when he was at Rice, not when he was at Pitt. This is the first time that he's had back-to-back losing seasons, and it's something they need to steer the ship out of immediately. And looking at this class and seeing its rating, you know, you might be a little bit discouraged as far as what Arizona State's going to be able to do to turn it around next year because things aren't getting any easier. If you look at what USC was able to do with their recruiting class, my goodness. I mean, just hand them the Pac-12 South right now. That's two years in a row that that almost every single player they went head-to-head with Arizona State on, they they just cleaned up. And so, you know, USC is doing very well. There's a little bit of a lull for UCLA. Colorado's spiked a little bit. Um, Utah brought in some decent talent this year, some decent high school talent. They've thrived on, on the sleepers and the JUCOs a, a little bit lately, but they actually got some high-level high school guys. And, and the University of Arizona's class is full, and it doesn't necessarily address the needs that they have. But, you know, th- this class was rated 11th out of 12 in the Pac-12, and and what Arizona State's going to need to do is they're going to need to maximize uh, the talent that they did bring in. I personally believe this class can turn it around for Arizona State. Uh, I'm not just pumping sunshine, although even I'll admit some of this is pretty pie in the sky uh, and a little bit naive, uh, and and you have to kind of squint and ignore some trends to be able to see things through the the, the prism with which I you know I illustrated what this class could do on, on DevilsDigest.com, but. I, th- I think they can. The possibility exists is what I'm trying to say for this class to, if not immediately within the next two years, move Arizona State from a five win team to maybe an eight win team to a 10 or 11 win team. And here's why. First of all, the big thing is quarterback. Every team needs a quarterback 
that is at least functional, can at least run the offense, make the reads, and not turn the ball over. Now, Arizona State obviously last year had to deal with Manny Wilkins getting hurt several times uh, with Brady White going down with a serious injury, uh, with Dylan Sterling Cole not necessarily being ready yet. I mean, we even had Jack Smith throw a pass um, and and Bryce Perkins sitting out with a, with a broken neck. Uh, this is... This is a situation where uh, everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong for Arizona State at the quarterback position last year. But they bring back every single one of those players, and they add two in this signing class. One of them is Ryan Kelly, the first four-star number one Arizona-rated quarterback that uh, that ASU is able to bring in during the Todd Graham era. They missed out on several quarterbacks Um since Todd Graham's been here, they've they've offered every single top-rated quarterback every year except for Mason Moran. Uh, but if there's been a four-star quarterback in the state of Arizona, ASU has offered them, and they have come up empty every single time. Connor Brewer, Tyler Brugman, Kyle Allen, Brian Lewerke, all in-state quarterbacks with four-star higher ratings, uh, and all the number one rated quarterbacks in Arizona in their respective recruiting classes. Uh, but Ryan Kelly breaks that streak. They're able to flip him from Oregon. He's coming in. He's going to stick around. He's got some shoulder tendonitis issues right now that probably a red shirt will help him um, you know, get healthy from, and he'll be ready to compete come this time next year. But the big addition is Blake Barnett. Uh, they got the number two overall dual threat quarterback from the class of 2015 who had signed to Alabama redshirted won the job outright as a as a redshirt freshman and uh, then lost that job uh, that you know Nick Saban has a quick trigger out there and Blake Barnett decided you know I'm gonna go somewhere else I'm gonna I'm gonna c- compete somewhere else I'm not gonna compete with a with a freshman uh who they obviously wanted to give the job to uh, the entire time if my leash was that short so You know, they bring in Blake Barnett, and Blake Barnett is a player who uh, was rated above Sam Darnold uh, at at USC, who's considered a dual-threat quarterback by rivals. He was rated far ahead of Lamar Jackson, who was the Heisman winner last year at the University of Louisville. So the expectations for Blake Barnett should be through the roof, and I don't expect Manny Wilkins to fend off Barnett. We'll get a little bit more into that later. But let's say that Blake Barnett comes in right away, gets the job right away, is able to read more of the field than Wilkins showed that he was able to last year at least, is able to be a little bit more accurate, uh, develop a connection with more receivers than just Nikhil Harry and Jalen Harvey from time to time, but can actually hit Cam Smith in stride, can make use of Ryan Newsom and John Humphrey, uh, can help bring along some of the younger receivers. You know, if he's able to come in and be the solution at quarterback, automatically Arizona State takes a big step forward. Because this is a guy with three years of eligibility. I mean, if he's good enough, you could see him go pro after one year. But he's got to prove it first. He's got to play the the 12-game slate next year and, and, and get through the Pac-12 and have some success. Now, Manny Wilkins could easily win the job. Blake Barnett could get injured and Manny Wilkins could get injured, and then you could see Bryce Perkins have the job. Any number of things could happen. I'm not discounting anything. But I do give Blake Burnett the leg up. I mean, I've watched his high school film. 
the guy's an absolute freak. And while when he did go head-to-head with Brady White, Brady White went off for like 600-some yards and seven touchdowns, Blake Barnett's highlights from that game are what really stick out the most. He can move. He can throw. Um, he gives Arizona State uh, uh, the total package at quarterback, and he has the size to, to play quarterback. You know, he's he's a little bit taller than than uh, Perkins, Wilkins, White. Um, he's, he's pretty stout at, at 200 pounds. You know, he's got a little bit of meat on his bones. He can take a hit. So, you know, uh, if he can step in and he can make a difference, um, then that right there is an immediate impact of this recruiting class. Now, at running back, you might say, oh, I know that they brought in Eno Benjamin and Traylon Smith, and I know that they're good. Um, you know, we're talking about two running backs from the state of Texas uh, who absolutely dominated in both Dallas and Houston, Eno Benjamin in the Dallas area, Traylon Smith in the Houston area, and just last year combined for 5,177 yards of offense and 62 touchdowns. That's just last year between the two of them. 5,177 yards of offense and 62 touchdowns. Not to mention Eno Benjamin threw a few touchdowns out of a wildcat formation. So, you know, these are two players that you might say, well, we don't, as ASU fans, we don't need them right now. Uh, But the truth is, there hasn't really been much pushing DeMario and Kalen Balaj from, from underneath, uh, Jason Lewis wasn't the guy. He wasn't putting pressure on them. You know, they they compete with each other. Kalen Balaj and Demario Richard compete with each other for reps. But they both know they're the guy. They both know they're going to get handoffs. They've never really been threatened with the idea, you know, that Jacob Brimhall is going to come in and get some of their first quarter carries. They haven't had to deal with that. And if Eno Benjamin and Traylon Smith are as advertised, and Todd Graham said, you know, uh, he absolutely loves everything that Eno Benjamin brings to the table. And he thinks Traylon Smith is going to be the, the the guy who catches passes out of the backfield. And if either one of them is able to push Demario or Kalen, you know, it, it, there, there are certain weaknesses when it comes to Kalen Balage and, and Demario Richard over the last couple of years that if you're watching the games, you may have noticed. Kalen Balage needs a full head of steam in order to escape, you know, even the most basic tackles could be a defensive back that he outweighs by 60 pounds if his shoulders aren't square to the line of scrimmage and he hasn't dug in his cleats two or three times you know that defensive back's probably going to take him down Demario Richard had to deal with the fact the offensive line got blown off the line of scrimmage repeatedly and he's not really somebody who um who you want to have create something out of nothing you want to give him a lane and he'll turn what should have been two yards into four and a half but that's not what was happening last year this is a team that uh on the whole averaged less than four yards per carry it was it was pretty ugly and so to say that Eno Benjamin and Traylon Smith don't have the ability to come in and compete to push two running backs who combined couldn't crack four yards a carry in the Pac-12, I would would caution you against that mindset because um, these are two very talented running backs, and and I I feel like uh, they'll be given every chance to 
um, to compete, which means Demario Richard and Caleb Lodge have to step up, and it means the offensive line really has to take some pride in what they're doing and, and send two running backs who have given a lot to this program out on top uh, by by actually opening up some lanes, getting a little bit stronger, getting a little bit more aggressive on the line of scrimmage. Uh, wide receiver is automatically a massive upgrade. Ryan Newsom and John Humphrey, um, these are these are going to be welcome additions because you you lost Tim White, you lost Fred Gamage. Um, there's definitely uncertainty surrounding Cam Smith's ability to reach full strength after his knee injury, and Newsom and Humphrey, you know, they're Humphrey was Oklahoma's offensive scout team player of the year, and Newsom, you know, is a two-time state champion in high school. Uh, who just wanted to be more than a punt returner at Texas. So they make their way over here. They're both fast. And they should really give Arizona State uh, weapons that complement Jalen Harvey and Nikhil Harry. And maybe somebody else steps up, you know, that we've, we've, we're sort of yet to see. Maybe it's Chapman. You know, you, you never really know. Maybe it's Darby. Maybe Kyle Williams, who I, I'm, I'm definitely really high on. Maybe Kyle Williams is ready to take over in the slot, and he holds off the transfers. You, you never know. But I think it's it's definitely immediate step forward as far as the receivers go. They will make immediate impacts, as will whoever ends up with the quarterback job. Because if Manny Wilkins is able to beat out Blake Barnett, it means Manny Wilkins improved. You know, I don't think Curtis Hodges at six foot seven um, is going to be able to you know get on the field right away. Maybe there's a package for him. Um, but at the same time, at six foot seven, there's n- it's not to say that he won't, in practice, help Chase Lucas, Robbie Robinson, Kareem Moore, Maurice Chandler get reps against uh, guys who are going to be six foot five to six foot six in this conference. The USC landed Randall Grimes, a six foot six wide receiver. They're going to have to deal with him eventually. So you know, Curtis Hodges at the very minimum is going to help this team in practice. Um, I made the argument at, at tight end. You know, they got Mark Walton because Jared Poplowski, who was committed to uh, Arizona State um, all the way up until the last day and flipped over to Colorado, uh, which is something I, I told you would happen on last week's podcast. Uh, you know, they end up with Mark Walton, a project tight end out of Yuma Cibola, uh, somebody who I, I, I kind of got a chuckle out of the fact that ASU offered him because I'd always looked at him as the state's kind of best-kept secret, and there weren't a lot of people looking for talent in, in Yuma. Um, but they, you know, they get Mark Walton and, you know, there's a potential with the tight ends that they have on the roster. They're going to have to teach, uh, as they learn as well as they're learning Billy Napier's offense and how that's going to run. You know, they're also going to be having to teach technique and everything to, uh, to Mark Walton. Some people get better by also having to teach as they learn. So it's possible that Mark Walton at least has some type of peripheral impact this year, even though admittedly that's a reach to say that he'll make a a mark this year. You know, you bring in a guy like Corey Stevens on the offensive line, another guy that's probably not going to play, probably not going to make a mark that you can see, but his enthusiasm and work ethic, being a team captain, coming from Saguaro, having multiple state championships, you know, he's somebody just like Marshall Nathan that they brought in last year who might not have even been the best offensive lineman at his school, 
because uh, they had a big kid, you know, Hawthorne go to Purdue, uh, and and Corey Stevens had two teammates, you know, go to UCLA. Might not be the best offensive lineman at his school, but he's the captain. He's the one not allowing sacks. And you know, I watched Marshall, Marshall Nathy last year. He's the guy that got in people's faces and got them raring to go and everything like that. You know, both of them are champions. They they both have a little bit of a nasty streak to them. These are the people you need on your offensive line. Your offensive line is sorely lacking identity after last year. And and even if there aren't the people that are going to get on the field, you need leadership qualities. You need people coming from a background of having had success. And I think Corey Stevens will contribute to a more positive locker room environment, at least for that unit who's going to be under a new coach. Maybe, maybe we'll get into that. Also uh, some, some, some coaching uncertainty as usual. Um, but I, that's just the offensive side of the ball. The defensive side of the ball, you will definitely see an immediate impact from Doug Suttle, whose film is some of the best that I've ever seen, and Tyler Johnson, who you know went from saying he was trying to start and definitely not redshirt to saying he's shooting to at least be second string and make an impact. But these are two guys that are both six foot four, both two forty five, both absurdly fast for that size, both quick. Both quick twitch athletes who fire off the ball really well, who have long arms, who are able to hunt down the ball carrier. Um, you know, I'm I'm not sure how they'll respond to the coaching that they're going to get at Arizona State. We haven't had a chance to observe them in that type of an environment. But as far as talent goes, Arizona State really made out best when it comes to the pass rushers that they brought in, and they brought in a couple of big defensive tackles too that will add depth in DJ Davidson and Shannon Foreman, two people who I've already said I believe are a little bit underevaluated. And, and then you look at the big five that they brought in, the five defensive backs. You know, there are other players that they brought in, but I want to make a note to mention that Todd Graham himself said that between Langston Frederick and Alex Perry at corner and KJ Jarrell, Evan Fields, and Ty Thomas at safety, he absolutely guarantees that at least some of these guys are going to see some playing time as freshmen. Maybe all of them. You don't know. You don't know until you get a chance to see them get out there and compete. Evan Fields is probably the most physically ready. Ty Thomas uh, on film looks like he has the most courage. He definitely gives you a Jordan Simone vibe. Uh, KJ Jarrell is a hitter. You know, he needs to fill out a little bit, but at the same time, this is a guy that's going to come out hunting right away, trying to prove he belongs. And then Alex Perry played some of the better football that I've seen at the high school level over the last two years. I got to go out and watch Bishop Gorman play against Chandler live, and he handled Nikhil Harry. And if you're listening to this podcast and you don't realize how good Nikhil Harry is or how big of an accomplishment that would be for a junior at the time to handle a senior in Nikhil Harry, then I I don't know how you stumbled upon this podcast because Nikhil Harry is basically everything that you're staking your hopes in uh, as far as Sun Devil football from here on out. And Alex Perry really had the ability to to frustrate him uh, and and not necessarily shut him down because there are mitigating circumstances in that game. Mason Moran, the quarterback, had a big cut on his hand and everything like that. Like that, but I'm telling you, just the film alone, Alex Perry was in Nikhil Harry's head. If he can do that to Nikhil, imagine what he can do to Pac-12 receivers. If he's ready to go on day one, he will play. 
And Langston Frederick, you know, this is an interesting prospect. We have him rated three stars. ESPN thinks he's a four. I think Scout thinks he's a two. It's all over the map. But, uh, you know, he's somebody who has genuine speed and coverage ability. Might be moved to, to, to safety eventually. But based on need, who knows? If Maurice Chandler doesn't step up, you know, this is the last rated pass defense in FBS. Anything is possible as far as people finding playing time. You know, it could be Chase Lucas starting across from Kareem Moore, or Maurice Chandler could really step up. You never know. But until people lock these positions down and prove that they can actually lock some receivers down and not get confused in coverage and be able to process audibles, you have to believe that Ty Thomas, Evan Fields, KJ Jarrell, Alex Perry, Langston, Frederick all have a chance to get on the field as freshmen. All right, let's get into this coaching nonsense. Arizona State, you know, we we talked about this last week's podcast. They could not have come out of their situation Uh, as far as looking for an offensive coordinator, any better than they did. They were looking at Sonny Dykes. He wasn't able to make it happen because he is tending to his ailing father um, and wants to stay close to him and and wants to be at Texas Christian University while he does it. And you're thinking Todd Graham's running out of connections. What's he going to do? He pulls a rabbit out of a hat. On late on a Saturday night, it comes out that he has hired Billy Napier, wide receivers coach, at Alabama, before signing day, much to the chagrin of Nick Saban, uh, according to sources that have spoken with DevilsDigest.com publisher Hode Rubino, he didn't like that very much. And, uh, and so Arizona State gets their man. They get a guy who's offensive coordinator at Clemson for a while, was a a great recruiter at Alabama uh, and has been with them for years and gets another opportunity to prove his his worth as a play caller out at Arizona State. Well, what happens just a couple days later? Um, Steve Sarkeesian, uh, who you might remember uh, as having screwed up a – an opportunity to continue to head up the, the USC Trojans um, through some, some personal issues with, with alcohol uh, of which I believe he is still in litigation um, with the university of Southern California over for them terminating him based on, you know, what, uh, what he believes to be an illness, although he has never outright admitted uh, to being an alcoholic. Uh, his issues with alcohol definitely contributed to his ouster at Southern Cal. Well, um, Nick Saban, he'll bring in anybody he can with any type of experience, uh, and he brought him in as, a, as an offensive analyst and consultant, and when it was time to kick Lane Kiffin's butt out the door and send him, send him to FAU in Florida, they named Steve Sarkeesian offensive coordinator. Well, they lost the national championship, and after that, uh, Sarkeesian took a job with the Atlanta Falcons after their Super Bowl loss. So Sarkeesian's gone. After one game calling plays for the University of Alabama, multiple-time national champions, he's gone. 
He's in the NFL. Um, he failed upward, I guess you could call it. I mean, he didn't really fail, uh, you know, as much as Clemson took that game from him. But there were issues with his play calling, I suppose, if you want to dissect the fact that they were in the national championship and didn't rely on their running game as much as they should have. But the point is he's gone. So Alabama needs an offensive coordinator. And who does Arizona State currently have? But someone who has worked under Nick Saban for multiple years. How does this keep happening to Arizona State? Now, Billy Napier might not go take a job in Tuscaloosa. Especially if Nick Saban was pissed. Or pissed at him. I could see Nick Saban calling him. Asking if he was interested. And then saying, too bad. Uh, But who knows? Nick Saban might want somebody that he's comfortable with. Uh, Running the offense, he's already lost staffers to Oregon, FAU, the Atlanta Falcons. He might want to bring Billy Napier back in. And it would be tough to say no to calling the plays for a team that's probably favored to be in the college football playoff and maybe win a national championship again next year. And it's not just him. Arizona State was considering elevating Josh Henson, their offensive line coach, who they replaced Chris Thompson with. Josh Henson comes over from Oklahoma State, where he was an offensive analyst, wanted a job there, didn't get a job there. It's his alma mater. Mike Gundy didn't have a spot for him. Well, signing day comes. Oklahoma State loses two commits. And it turns out that they've landed like three offensive linemen total in the last two recruiting classes. Mike Gundy says that's unacceptable. He jettisons their offensive line coach. And then all of a sudden, look what job is open at Josh Henson's alma mater. Just a couple of weeks after he got to Arizona State. And Josh Henson, you know, wasn't able to convince Austin Jackson to... to look away from his family ties and commit to Arizona State over USC. He wasn't able to convince George Moore to go with Arizona State, even though George Moore was on campus when when Henson took over for Thompson, who was leaving for TCU. So it's not like he has a ton of investment in the program, and he didn't get the offensive coordinator job at Arizona State. So Arizona State is in a position where they could lose Billy Napier, they could lose Josh Henson, back to the schools that they just hired these guys from in the same way that they lost Cody Burns last year after just a couple of months. And this revolving door of assistant coaches who have absolutely no loyalty to Arizona State whatsoever has to be driving Todd Graham crazy. For all the heat that Todd Graham has taken in his career, most of it surrounds either the Britney Spears microphone, the wristbands he wears, um, the use of the phrase high octane, or his brief tenure at Pitt. 
uh, one of the things that you that you hear in there of criticism of Todd Graham is blowback from comments that he made about assistant coaches essentially being mercenaries. Well, look at what's been going on. That's exactly what they are. Assistant coaches are hired guns, and Todd Graham is all alone. He is all alone as Arizona State's head coach, and this entire thing is in his hands. And that's the way he wants it. I mean, Todd Graham, like any head coach, is a control freak to some extent. I've listened to Todd Graham talk about how it's his job as a leader to make people think that they are in control, but he has shaped them to make the decisions that he would make if he were in their position. He's not manipulating them. He's training them. But, I mean, if Keith Patterson decides that he's had enough football and he moves on, what does Todd Graham have left? What does he have left? Chip Lindsey left. Delvon Alexander left. He was with him for five years. He left. Norvell took half the staff last year. You know, you got TJ Rushing, who seems to be doing a pretty good job. And you can only assume that he'll be in high demand come this time next year if he isn't already. You know, you need Keith Patterson. If you're Todd Graham, you need Keith Patterson to stick around. Just for your own comfort and sanity's sake, as this revolving door of assistant coaches keeps coming and going, yet somehow you're still able to to land, you know, some decent recruits, and they're completely locked into, you know, their situations because of the, you know, the rules of the NCAA. You can't just come and go if you're a player. You can do it if you're a coach. Arizona State's seen plenty of it. But, uh, you know, Todd Graham's coaching tree is, is something that fits a feather in his cap, but it doesn't do Arizona State any good. Besides, I guess, make people want to apply here so that they can eventually end up elsewhere. But, if I mean, if Arizona State loses Josh Henson as offensive line coach, uh, it's probably not that big of a deal, but it's exhausting if you follow this program. It's it, it's hard to have faith in a program and a head coach that can't retain assistant coaches for more than a couple of weeks at a time. And there are people that have moved beyond any ability for Todd Graham to rehabilitate, rehabilitate or redeem what's gone on the past two seasons. There were people who didn't want him here in the first place. It was easy for those people to say, we've had two unsuccessful seasons, we have the same problems over and over again, uh, we don't want him here. And once you've decided that you don't want Todd Graham here, every single thing that happens, you know, you're looking at it through the spectrum of, you know, he is bad for the program. So an assistant leaves for a better job. If you're looking, if you're looking at this saying that you know everything is Todd Graham's fault and he's not the right fit for the program, when somebody leaves, you're going to put that on Todd Graham. When the truth is, this has just been. The most incredible run 
of weird luck. How do these jobs keep opening over and over and over? And when you run out of when you run out of assistance in in your I guess bank in the Gus Malzahn bank, when you run out of people that you can promote, that you trust, that speak the same offensive and defensive languages, um, then you're starting to have to hire outside people who maybe you don't have a whole lot of trust in. You have to relinquish control. It feels less familiar. Uh, you know, that that can be kind of a, a scary place, and you're not doing what you usually do. You're not reaching down and bringing up people from the high school ranks, and the reason you're not doing that is you can't afford to take, take risks. You can't afford to help make people's careers. you got to save your own. you got to hire the best and brightest, the best available. And the problem with the best available is if somebody better than you comes around, along and they want the best available, they're going to get them. So, uh, I mean, this is developing. By the time you listen to this, Josh Henson might be gone. Billy Napier might be gone. They both might decide to stay. But the point is, it's always going to be in the back of your head. You're like the person who, you know, you caught your significant other cheating once. Every time you have a significant other from that point on, you know, that, that's been broached. You've been left. The trust has been betrayed. No lead is safe. No coach is going to be here for longer than uh, they're here. When they're gone, they're gone. So um, enjoy that mindset, Arizona State football fans, because it is here to stay. Uh, For as long as Todd Graham is a coach here and for as long as people are coaching in college football, assistant coaches are going to come and go. They're going to take better jobs because you're talking about hundreds of of thousands of dollars, family connections, comfort, um, uh, and everybody's angling to do the best thing for them. And for some reason, the best thing for people always ends up being somewhere other than Arizona State after the best thing for them was being at Arizona State in the first place. So February has traditionally been the time that Arizona State starts ramping up the recruitment on the next class. Uh, they'll identify the the targets um, that are going to blow up. They're going to be huge recruits. They'll identify them usually between um, October to November, uh, two years before these players even graduate. So a lot of the players that Arizona state has offered in the 2018 class, they did so, you know, last November. And in February is when it really starts to pick up when they're, they're evaluating some of their options uh, that are available. And so what I went ahead and did is uh, on the website, I put up a sort of a, a list of players they've already offered um, and we'll get to that in a second. The, there, there are some things t- that you should know if you're going to follow recruiting at its earliest stages, uh, which is basically immediately after the ink dries on the on the previous letters of intent being signed. Then you know you move on to the next class. Um, but there are some things you should know if you're going to be following along this early. 
and we'll get to that in a second, but also with with the locals and, and, and something that I want to bring up because Arizona State landed so many local recruits, brought in a few local walk-ons. Um, Todd Graham at the, at the signing day presser had said, you know, if I can get, if I can get, you know, this amount every single year, I'll take it. You know, and this year they signed seven, and it's not it's not going to be that amount next year because the the talent level is just a little bit lower. But what I went ahead and did for you is on DevilsDigest.com, I, I broke down who's really worthwhile to look at the 2018 class on the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball. And then for my high school site, ArizonaVarsity.com, I went ahead and ranked the top 50 prospects so far in the class of 2018, along with about the top 20 players at each position. Prospect measures potential player measures, you know, predicted production, how I think they'll do as seniors. Plenty of people uh, will have absolute monster senior seasons and then never play football again. Those are player rankings. Prospect rankings are players who you know might not even have the best senior year, but guess what? They're six foot seven, 280 pounds with really long arms and can develop into something very special. So uh, I went ahead and put that up on ArizonaVarsity.com, posted a link to it in the DevilsDigest.com, Devils Huddle Premium Forum. If you're not a subscriber, just get it over with. Just do it. It's a great place to be. Um, Hoderbino is a fantastic publisher of this, this website. Uh, incredibly friendly, incredibly responsive, well plugged in, uh, and has provided a home for me to to be a recruiting analyst for these last couple of years, and I'm very grateful for that. So make sure you subscribe, devilsdigest.com. Uh, but I went ahead and listed out every single person that – has an Arizona State offer, and I pinned that thread in the Devil's Huddle premium forum. So if you're not subscribed, you want to have access to that, and that's something that I definitely think that that you're going to want to keep track of if you're interested in getting more into who they're recruiting, how they're recruiting, what I'm doing as far as recruiting analyst for Devil's Digest, who I'm keeping up with, and, and what they tell me. You know, if you're if you're in the huddle, you'll be able to read this thread, and you'll know exactly what's going on and when. As I know it, I'll get that information to you. But Arizona State's already offered over 50 players for the 2018 class. None of that includes any junior college players that they're looking at, so this is just high school. So let's take uh, a quick look at some of the players that they're actually pursuing for the 2018 class right now and let you know if any of them are names that you should keep an eye on. Typically, if they're recruiting them this early, uh, Arizona State does a good job of getting in early on players who are going to blow up later uh, and might not necessarily be on Arizona State's radar come signing day, signing day eve, the following season, but some of these people um, will be names to keep an eye on, especially quarterbacks. Quarterbacks commit early, and of the the eight or so quarterbacks that Arizona State has already offered in the 2018 class, um, four of them are already committed. A five-star Matt Coral is committed to USC. Four-star Jack Tuttle is committed to Utah. Four-star Cameron Rising. Uh, the the little brother of Tyson Rising, offensive lineman for Arizona State. He's committed to Oklahoma. Justin Fields, someone Arizona State really liked when Chip Lindsey was here, is committed to Penn State. So four of the quarterbacks that, that Chip Lindsey actually offered while he was here uh, have already given their verbal commitment elsewhere. Now, because Chip Lindsey was really the one who was putting in all the effort in searching for a 2018 quarterback, that whole thing was really his project. I can't tell you 
if the offers that Arizona State has made to the remaining quarterbacks or even the quarterbacks that have committed elsewhere would necessarily be standing offers under a Billy Napier-led offense if he sticks around. What I can tell you is there there are two quarterbacks that I'm I'm very sure that Arizona State would take no matter what. One of them is Brevin White, Brady White's younger brother, who they were the first offer for. And Todd Graham believes in loyalty. And if Brevin White wanted to come to Arizona State, you know he's been here on on official visits multiple times. He's been to plenty of other colleges as well. Uh, the White family does a really really good job of making sure that they get their kids exposure to as many schools as possible, so that they can make the best choice for them. But if Brady White sticks around, doesn't transfer, and 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 his little brother wants to play with him, he'll have the opportunity to do that if he commits. And I believe Arizona State would take a commitment from Brevin White if he was going to give it. The other is Dorian Thompson Robinson, uh, the Bishop Gorman quarterback in waiting who's been behind Tate Martell for the last year. He's already somebody who's a four-star, and he's already somebody that Rivals is looking at that could potentially work their way up into five-star territory. He's taken unofficial visits to Arizona State. He is somebody that was offered while Chip Lindsay was here as well, but at the same time, I fully believe that anybody in their right mind who was an offensive coordinator at Arizona State would take him. Uh, the running backs that they have offered uh, a little bit interesting right now. Um, they're they're the same running backs that really everybody's offering, and and they're looking in the southeast as they tend to do. The one running back that I think is kind of interesting that's on this list is Tyree Goldman, who is uh, uh, kind of a little scat back out of Louisiana that Mike Norvell saw um, in person when he was there recruiting somebody else. Uh, when he was on a visit a couple of years ago, he offered this kid as a true freshman, or obviously a true freshman in high school, even though you can hold your eighth grader back, and I don't recommend doing that, but plenty of parents do. Uh, so Tyree Goldman's a freshman you know, out in Louisiana. Mike Norvell offers him. Um, well, Goldman hasn't had any offers offer since, but he's, you know, he's still been productive. It'll be interesting to see if his recruitment picks up or if Mike Norvell goes back and even reevaluates and says, Hey, you know, we, we would want you at Memphis. So that's an offer that I can tell you right now. I don't necessarily think stands. He was somebody who, when John Simon had first come on, hadn't heard from Josh Simon uh, initially, but I think they've actually communicated since then. And so, um, you know, John Simon, Arizona state's running backs coach, uh, obviously has roots in the Southeast and is able to recruit in the Southeast. And so that'll be someone he keeps an eye on if Tyree Goldman proves worthy of holding on to an offer that he got as a freshman. Wide receiver is really where Arizona State has dumped out a bunch of offers early on because they've identified who the elite prospects are going to be. What's crazy about wide receivers is they get their offers usually as sophomores. Uh, and then don't make their decisions until signing day. So uh, there's kind of a lot of confusion and a lot of things that go into fueling maybe the the diva stereotype of wide receivers in general. So they get their offers so early, and they're not in a position where, like quarterbacks, they have to commit early to save their spot. So of the one, two, three, four, five. I think 15, getting close to 15 wide receivers that Arizona State has offered, not one of them has given a verbal commitment elsewhere. Most of them are in the four-star range. They do like Jalen Holland and uh, Emin Ray St. Brown, who are five stars through rivals, and I I don't anticipate Arizona State um, being competitive for them. Um, But they were 
in early on Brian Hightower, who's now out in Florida at IMG Academy, and he's visited a couple of times. Uh, Solomon Enos is a four-star wide receiver out of North Canyon High School, same high school as Austin Jackson. He's the local recruit who Arizona State's probably going to put the most effort into, and, and he told me that he feels right now Arizona State's recruiting him the hardest. Uh, and, you know, they've, they've offered a couple of three-star wide receivers um, out of the New Orleans area, um, uh, Jamal Houston, I think, is one of them. Tajon Harrington is an, is another. Uh, so they're still recruiting Texas, still recruiting Louisiana for wide receivers. But a lot of those four stars are all in the California area, and I know that's what Arizona State fans would really like to see is for uh, is for ASU to get a foothold back into California again and maybe pull out some of those four star prospects or borderline four star prospects uh, the way that they have in years past. Offensive tackle is something that they're in desperate need of in this recruiting class, and uh, they've already offered four of them. Uh, uh, Petey Sewell is a I mean, big, big offensive lineman out of tiny St. George, Utah, on the Arizona-Utah border. Uh, he's somebody that they offered early, but you know USC is already all over him, and and they're they're trying to get him to visit. Tommy Brown's another big offensive tackle. Uh, one of them they offered Bray Walker's already committed to Oklahoma, so it's going to be tough to land an offensive tackle in the 2018 class, just like it's tough to land an offensive tackle every year. That's why they're in early on some some kind of combo guard-type players. Will Lawrence out of Tennessee loves Arizona State, has been on multiple unofficial visits, and has said that he'll make a decision soon, and Arizona State looks to be in good position. He could ultimately end up being the first commitment for the 2018 class for Arizona State. Uh, Joey Ramos is a local kid out of out of Deer Valley on the west side uh, who, who um, Arizona State wasn't really interested in offering when Chris Thompson was here, but the second that Josh Henson came on board, he went ahead and made that offer. Now, if Josh Henson leaves and goes back to Oklahoma State, I'm not sure where Joey Ramos will stand with Arizona State, but I'll make sure to find out for you if there are any changes. Uh, on the defensive line, uh, you know, they've, they've made a couple of offers. Uh, not many defensive linemen are typically players who get offered um, the summer before their senior year or during their senior year. So it's not surprising to see that Arizona State has only offered a combined between defensive line and linebackers so far three players. That's not a surprise. Um, what is interesting is they have been offering a lot of safeties. Um, they have some cornerbacks that are on their uh, radar, and these are all really highly sought-after corners that they're going to have to fight to, to get after. Brendan Radley-Hiles is one of them. Anthony Cook's another. Uh, Vernon McKinley the third. These are all four-star cornerbacks. Kyler McMichael that they really like. Uh, but safety is really where they've been They've been extending a lot of offers. Um, Ashari Crosswell, Derek Allen, uh, Steve Stevens, uh, Talanoa Hafanga, all four-star safeties that Arizona State is in on early, as well as three three-star safeties, Andrew Cunningham out of Florida, Isaiah Winman, and Josiah Bradley, who is actually probably going to be Saguaro High School's highest-profile recruit going into the 2018, 2017 season, 2018 recruiting class. So 
uh, Arizona State's needs are still going to be in the defensive backfield. They're still going to be on the offensive line. Uh, and as they offer players, I will continue to add to this database that's located in the Devil's Huddle on devilsdigest.com. So make sure to subscribe. Keep up with that as the year goes on. Anytime that, uh, that you want me to ask a question of any of these prospects, you'll have them right there by name, and I'll be able to reach out to them and get an answer for you. Uh, and that's that's a little bit of the service that we're trying to provide. But um, I, I'm, I'm interested to see where they go from here. There's not a lot of talent to offer in the state of Arizona, and there is this hunger for Arizona State to find a way back into California. But the truth is, if Todd Graham can get everybody he wants to get from Oklahoma, Texas, and Louisiana, he's going to continue to do it. All right, this is my favorite part of the podcast. This is where I take questions from you, the Devil's Digest subscribers. Uh, some of these I'm not going to know the answer to. I'll let you know right away. Uh, but Santan Devil, the first one to reach out with a question, says, I'm excited to see how a new offensive line coach, possibly with a question mark, very good, uh, has a different approach to blocking schemes and continued maturation of our existing players pans out in 2017 for the 2017 football season. Who are you projecting on the offensive line too deep? Um, and have you heard or think Henson, he's still around, right? And Napier plan to do anything different with the offensive line. Well, because Billy Napier came from a situation where they do a little bit of power running, um, and I know that there are Arizona state fans who would abs that's music to their ears. You, know, you, you could, you could guess, but you know, in, until uh, you actually get a chance to see them in spring practice, you're not really going to know. The second that I get an opportunity to ask them if that's the case, I will. Uh, you'll also maybe notice by the way that they offer potential recruits because they'll tend to offer players that they feel could fit in their scheme. And thus far, we haven't seen Henson or Napier. Uh, offer anybody that would suggest they're changing up any type of philosophy except that Josh Henson did offer Joey Ramos of Deer Valley High School when uh, Chris Thompson wouldn't now or hadn't yet Uh, but I, I there's not really anything that you can glean from Joey Ramos being a six foot four 290 uh, in between guard and tackle is more of maybe a pass blocker than he is a run blocker. I've seen him play live. He's a good player, but he's not the one that's going to tip, you know, what they're planning to do. Just that offer is not going to cut it. So um, as far as the two deep, I personally like Quinn Bailey and Sam Jones at tackle. Uh, Miller and Robertson at guard and McCollum at center. And that gives you the ability to plug in Tyler McClure at center if you need to. Uh, and at tackle, in, you're, you're probably going to be in a situation where while he is still very young, you could use Cole Cabral. Uh, and, and at guard, it's, you know, it's, it's going to be really interesting. They have Cade Cote. They have Marshall Nathan. They have these options. Um, but I, you know, I, I don't really trust the offensive line beyond that starting five very much, uh, and that's with hoping that AJ McCollum really steps up and is in shape and, and ready to go and ready to lead this offensive line. Um, but you know, the, the starting five, I'm pretty sure you know uh, that 
that unless Cole Cabral comes in and kicks somebody off of off of that five, I, I look at that being the five with Cabral being able to play multiple positions, McClure really being the backup at center for the third year in a row. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and, and it, it remains to be seen who steps up and who's, uh, who's ready to play. Let's see. Uh, Tiwas 88. How can ASU's recruitment of Gunnar Romney change if he decides to go on a mission? Okay. So Gunnar Romney is a wide receiver out of Chandler high school. He's about six foot two, um, a little over one eighty. And he is, I mean, he, this is a very good receiver. This is a productive receiver. He's, he's not necessarily somebody you could pin down as a deep threat, as a possession receiver, or as a, a route runner or a hands guy. He does everything fairly well. Um, and he's somebody that Arizona State should offer soon. Now, Gunnar Romney is from uh, Ciudad Juarez, Mexico. He's actually part of the Romney clan, Mitt Romney, you know, distant relative of Mitt Romney, um, and is LDS. And it's very possible that he could go on a mission. And the the way that that complicates things is that coaches don't want to offer players who might not be around when, you know, when this coach is actually needing them to come in and contribute because the mission isn't just two years. A lot of, a lot of LDS athletes kind of wait a period of time and then they're assigned, you know, where they're going to go and they might not leave for a few months in. And so it's really three years past your graduation date when you would really come in as an athlete and be ready to contribute. And that's why BYU is a team that has so many like 21 year old freshmen or, you know, they come back and they go to snow college um, or, or they, you know, they go the, the Juco route. If you remember Wraith and Reisdorf went on his mission and then he came back and walked on at ASU then he went down to Mesa Community College, played a couple of years, has two years of eligibility left, and he's going to Boise State. He's married and has, you know, two years left to play. And he is, I mean, he's got to be 23 around that. I mean, Taysom Hill this year was taking snaps as a 25-year-old. Taysom Hill graduated high school the same year as Brock Osweiler, who is on his second NFL contract. And he was a senior at BYU this year. So um, there are certain schools that 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 traditionally would take that on or be more receptive to it. And Arizona State, honestly, used to be one of them. And now that's kind of gone away. I'm, I'm always surprised that with the level of LDS football talent in the state of Arizona, that Arizona State's not offering more of them last year, there was a linebacker out of Perry High School named Case Hatch, and the only team that really wanted to take a, a shot on him was Southern Utah, with the understanding that he wasn't even going to be there for three years. Uh, and you know, Arizona State has a long history of LDS players making contributions, and so you know, if if I believe that they would offer Gunnar Romney regardless, that's how talented he is, um, and there's a potential that you know Romney does or does not take a mission it's really up to the individual you know not every single lds athlete does things the exact same Um, but he's somebody that you know that i 
have a relationship and I have the ability to talk to about these things. And, and, you know, if I get a straight answer from him, it's a year away for him on what he's going to do. But if I get a straight answer from him, I'll definitely provide it, uh, in, in the devil's huddle. Uh, next question, Sun Devil 03. It's been a little bit since signing day. Any new names pop up, uh, to potentially fill this year's class? Well, um, not on my end. Uh, some of the late finds that they've made have obviously been grad transfers. So that's something that you really have to look out for when somebody gets to spring ball and decides I'm a little bit lower on the depth chart. I don't really vibe or mesh well with this new position coach that they brought in. Or, hey, I just realized I'm about to graduate. Uh, I, I want to go somewhere else and get started on my master's. Those are the players that I would I would look at you know, as Arizona State wanting to bring in um, to make some type of a contribution. Now, they have had late additions out of the junior college ranks two years in a row. They had Alex Lasoya last year. They beat out Auburn for him, and then they got Tim White. And Tim White was a you know very significant contributor to this team for the last two years, and they got him after their spring. You know, he's a visitor for the spring game. And then he was playing – for Arizona State just a couple of months later. And so, you know, I have not personally heard of anybody at the junior college level outside of maybe one cornerback that played at Blinn College as sort of a nickel that they would really be looking at right now. And so I'll post that name, and and, and it's pretty common knowledge to, to ASU fans. If you're following recruiting, but I'll go ahead and post that name in, in the in the forum, and and, uh, and we can discuss him a little bit more. But, you know, it, it's a situation where names will pop up out of nowhere because uh, you're getting in late film or you're you're starting to talk to some of these junior college coaches and, and they'll say like hey you know like Quishy Brown like this person grew two inches as a 20 year old you know and they're totally worth a scholarship now people you had never heard of will come up out of nowhere and junior college coaches are really the ones kind of feeding that to to the coaches uh, that are looking for extra talent but right now I don't I don't have a name outside of maybe one cornerback at Blinn. Uh, Brad Denny, Brad Denny coming in with a question. Do you feel comfortable with the level of transparency ASU has shown in regards to the Phil Bennett hire, their defensive coordinator, Phil Bennett from Baylor, um, Baylor back in the news again, um, releasing some text messages uh, related to head coach Art Bryles because Bryles was suing them for liable. Somebody else is suing them. Uh, These text messages are horrible. Art Bryles is not the man that people wanted to believe that he is. Um, he, it's pretty obvious that he prioritized winning above other things. And uh, Phil Bennett was his defensive coordinator for a long time. And I, I think that, um, you know, if you're, if you're in a room where there's an explosion, you know, you might not be next to the bomb, but you're you no matter where you're at in the room, you're probably going to get some shrapnel. And I think that it's logical to reason that Phil Bennett isn't completely innocent. Um, that the entire Baylor culture uh, has absolutely gone awry, and that and that Phil Bennett, if he was there and he was there for years while all of this is going on, that even if you can make the argument that he's innocent and worth hiring, you probably can't make the argument that he was somebody who 
was a model citizen who pushed back against what Bryles was doing because this is somebody who came out and publicly supported Bryles with a tweet that was like part of a letter that was signed by every single person on staff. And since then, it's come out that some of those people on staff were involved in either the text messages with Bryles or recruiting issues or, or you know, who knows what else. Um, Phil Bennett hasn't really actually been linked to anything that we know of outside of one conversation at a dinner one time of saying he expected to have a player back after that player took care of some stuff and that stuff that player had to take care of was, you know, indictment for sexual assault. So, you know, that's, that's in bad form and bad taste in retrospect, but you don't actually know if Phil Bennett knew all of the particulars of what was going on. If he was taking his player's word for it, if you believe that he was guilty or not, you don't, you don't know. The problem with not knowing is whoever you are as a person, you know, whether you're an optimist or a pessimist or overly cautious, or you've been burned before you have experience in this, you know, you're going to fill that gap, uh, uh, that lack of knowledge gap. You're going to fill that with whoever you are. I tend to be a skeptical person when it comes to scandals. I'm a believer in second chances um, but I am not a believer in career advancement or career opportunities being what those second chances look like. I personally believe second chance should be you don't go to jail <laughs> or, or, you know, you, you pay your penalty, uh, whether, it, you know, if it was to be like a show cause penalty or something like that, I, I'm a firm believer that, that, if your consequences um, are carried out, then you know your your slate is clean. You know it's it probably wouldn't be popular for me to talk about the fact that you know I believe that Mike Vick paid more of a debt to society than a lot of other people who have perpetrated crimes against you know human beings. And I'm not trying to weigh uh, you know the value of of a pet or anything like that. I absolutely love my dog you know, more than my kids sometimes. But the truth is, you know, I look at Mike Vick as having paid a debt to society, therefore earned a second chance um, to be uh, in in his field if the people around him accepted him in that role. But in football, you know, you kind of just, you, you want to win, so you'll take the best players and you'll deal with uh, what comes out of that. You'll take the best coaches and you'll deal what come, with what comes out of that. Um, I don't blame or hold Arizona State University accountable for their transparency or lack of transparency with the Phil Bennett hire because I don't necessarily think they should have made the hire in the first place. I mean, he could have come with, you know, a guarantee on the box to quote Tommy boy. But you know, to me, it's a guaranteed piece of shit. You know, he came from that Baylor environment and, and when it comes to scandals, I'm a little bit more pessimistic. And so regardless of how transparent Arizona state's going to be, um, as long as Phil Bennett is the defensive coordinator of Arizona state, I'm going to carry a healthy level of, of not, not outright scorn, but just skepticism and discomfort. Because real people's lives were affected by what went on at Baylor. Real people experienced real trauma. It wasn't just a bad thing that happened at another school that you get to point your finger at and laugh. Some of these text messages with Art Bryles involved, you know, players brandishing weapons at females 
and then just getting kind of a stern talking to, you know, and that goes beyond the life altering assaults that took place, you know, and other alleged group assaults that took place. Culture issues come out of any number of things, but one of them is the tone that is set by the people that are in charge. And if you're a position coach, you have more contact with the players than the head coach. So as a defensive coordinator at Baylor for the last few years, knowing that Baylor is an absolute joke and a mess, I don't like the hire. So, I mean, Arizona State could be completely transparent. They could be more transparent. They could publish the audio recordings of the interviews that they actually conducted. Um, They could mic Phil Bennett up for the rest of his Arizona State career. I'm still going to look at it from the position of, well, you were at Baylor. This stuff happened. Why did it happen? Why didn't it? Why wasn't it under control? Why didn't anybody blow the whistle? Um, what did you know and when? Questions that aren't going to get answered. Th- those are always going to be on my mind. So, I mean, that's, that's a good question, Brad. And I, I you know, I assume this is going to cause some people to, to leave some comments in the forums that are more forgiving than me or more logical and more willing to take Arizona State at their word, which I'm, I'm all of those things and I understand it. And if Arizona State wants to make the hire, I'm certainly not going to stop them from, from being able to do it, nor am I trying to grandstand and say, fire the man. Uh, what I'm saying is for me personally, I have a level of discomfort with the hire that's not going to go away regardless of how Arizona State treats it or what is proven from this point on. Uh, let's see. Um, Santan Devil, who's going to win the starting quarterback battle in fall camp and why I think I got into that a little bit in, earlier in the podcast. Blake Barnett, to me, has the clear advantage with his size, skill set, uh, the swagger that he's bringing in, the fact that he's got that attachment uh, with, with Billy Napier. I think all of that um, is going in his favor. I would personally like to see Manny Wilkins step up and, and retain what's his. Uh, secure the bag, as he tweeted out. Uh, I would like to see Manny Wilkins secure the bag, uh, but I believe it'll be Blake Barnett. Uh, the original Sun Devil for life. Will the O-line make any strides this year? Why or why not? Same question can be made for the D-line. Uh, the offensive line, I think, absolutely. That comes with experience. You you watch this happen once before when Rudy Carpenter's senior year was spent play, playing behind a ridiculously inexperienced offensive line that took two years to grow up before they ultimately had the experience to make an impact. And I believe that 2017 will be the year that this offensive line is good, not great, but good. Um, 3J485, what kind of prospect is Cade Warner and does he walk on? Uh, Cade Warner's taken an unofficial visit to Nebraska this week, and they can be very hospitable and very welcoming and overbearing and annoying and ridiculous. Uh, so if he likes all those things, I think he might actually end up at the University of Nebraska. Um, you know, it's going to be a turnoff for Cade Warner to know that Arizona State has all these scholarships open and that they aren't offering him one of them. But the truth is he doesn't have any FBS offers, so Arizona State would be bidding against itself, and that's not necessarily something they should really do at this juncture. It's going to come down to Arizona State and Nebraska. He's a worthwhile player to have on the roster. Um, his dad is a very open person. And if his dad doesn't like something about the way that something's being run at ASU, he's going to tweet about it. (laughs) So, uh, some people appreciate that. 
for either the entertainment value of it or for the honesty of it, or they just appreciate it because it's coming from Kurt Warner and they idolize him as the hall of the deserved hall of famer that he is. Um, I think that if you're a coach, you, you fear it a little bit. Um, Kurt Warner is a great guy. He's a great dad. Um, but you know, that's going to come along with Cade Warner committing to wherever he commits. Now, I personally believe that Cade Warner is a player that can make an impact. Ultimately, he, he's not just a product of the offense that was run by his dad out at desert mountain high school. I went out and watched him play live. He can run after the catch. He's got hands. His size is good at, at a little bit over six, one, definitely 200 pounds. And he can move a little bit. I mean, he could definitely use some, some, uh, some improvement in the speed and, and, and agility area of his game. Um, but this is this, he, he looks the most, the part of, of a walk-on that could actually come in and make a contribution. And I, we got into this on, on the message boards a little bit of the walk-ons Arizona, Arizona state currently has that if I believe any of them will actually make an impact. And I don't necessarily, I, I don't necessarily think that I think, you know, they could get a long snapper out of it. They got a couple of options um, that they picked up uh, via, via walk-on. Um, and they, you know, there's a defensive lineman linebacker type, Anthony Nicastro out of Marcos Teniza who could maybe make an impact someday. But the truth is if Cade Warner, to walk on Arizona State, he would be to me in the best position to make an impact at some point down the road. Then again, he might figure out that he has absolutely no reason to play football whatsoever and and quit playing. You never know that that can happen with walk-ons sometimes. Uh, last question. I've never liked the O-line progression under the previous coach. What can we expect from a new O-line coach? What and where was he coaching before ASU? So Josh Henson, if he sticks around, he was an offensive analyst at Oklahoma State. And before that, he was actually the offensive coordinator at Missouri. And before that, coached the O-line at Missouri. Uh, And then before that, was recruiting coordinator for Louisiana State. Um, He was able to get quite a few offensive linemen into the National Football League. Um, and so, I, I mean, I believe he was able to progress some of his linemen f- and have them meet their potential. But as far as the offensive line as a whole, um, when his focus was actually on running the offense at Missouri – they regressed a little bit, in my opinion, um, but he still was getting players to the NFL pretty regularly. Uh, when he was the offensive line coach, solely the offensive line coach at Missouri, uh, I, I thought he actually did a really good job, and it's part of what put him in a position to ultimately replace Dave Christensen out there and run the offense at Missouri, which was a very effective offense his first year there. So um, I, I would expect that you will have people meeting their potential under Josh Henson if he sticks around. And I'm not sure under Chris Thompson if players were meeting their potential or if the players he were bringing in just didn't have the level of potential that you would need in order to have a successful um, a successful line. Because if you look at the most successful line uh, you know that that was really probably the V. Tiafilo, Christian Westerman, Nick Kelly, uh, all as seniors line, and then maybe Jamil Douglas the year before that. And the truth is, you know, uh, a lot of 
the positive that was done with those guys happened uh, in the weight room. So um, uh, I would feel like it, it would be better. You know, I don't think Chris Thompson did the worst the worst job, and there are definitely people that are not upset to see him go. But from what I know of of Josh Henson and his resume, uh, you, you know, he's somebody who if you brought in, like they expect Stephen Miller to be an NFL caliber guard. And I would expect under Josh Henson for him to stay, take a step forward and for him to meet a little bit more of that potential and to not get, you know, knocked back uh, it, when he goes into pass protect, um, you know, and, and for, for him to be a little bit more well-rounded, um, I, I would expect an improvement, you know, for somebody like him initially uh, and for some other people, it's really on them to see if they improve. AJ McCollum needs to get in better shape. Um, you know, Quinn Bailey's athletic. He just needs to get a little bit stronger. Uh, and, and so it, 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 the players, you know, maybe Robertson would be somebody that that Henson could really help along. Then again, we don't know if Henson's going to be here by the time I upload this podcast. <laughs> so, so I could have just wasted a bunch of time talking about an offensive line coach uh, that has since moved on. So we, we'll, we'll wait and see. Hopefully this will be up by Thursday morning, and a few of you will get to listen to it while Josh Henson is still the offensive line coach at Arizona State. And as always, thank you for listening to Devil's Junkie Podcast. I am Ralph Amsden, and we'll catch you next week. I was living in a devil town. Didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down About the devil town